Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, we have somebody on tonight that has that magic touch. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have fun tonight, Brian. We're going to have a lot of fun. Everybody's been asking us about our guest tonight, and they are so excited. I received a ton of emails today. People calling, everybody wanting to know about our guests, and I said, well, you just have to listen in to the show. We're not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. You just have to listen in. And mm-hmm. i tell you what, Brian, the last time she was on the show, um, uh, we received a lot of emails. A lot of people were blessed. And uh, that's why we reached out to her to try to get her to come back on the show. And she agreed. And so tonight, um, I'm, I'm sure, Brian, all of our listeners will be truly blessed tonight. Oh, absolutely. You know, we had so much fun with her. And, you know, she talked about, things that were so important and greatly needed and that's why you know that's one of the reasons we definitely wanted her to come back on and talk again about those same topics because I don't think you can talk enough about the issues that you know that we're going to discuss tonight and so I want to just I want to read this quote it says Gloria Loring is one of the most pure musical talents in mainstream pop today and if you don't believe that you can you can look at the people who are influenced by her. You can look at all the different things that she's done musically. And then you think about the, th- the things that she's done outside of music, being an actress, a speaker, an author, you know, a now producer. You know, I mean, she's doing so many things that it's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and many people may know her from, the number one hit song, Friends and Lovers. Uh, she's also a co-composer of the television theme song for Different Strokes and Facts of Life, uh, Days of Our Lives. You know, she does all kinds of stuff. She has an awesome book out um, that talks about type 2 diabetes and how you live with it. And she's also the spokesperson for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. You know, so she's just doing all so many different things. And it's just a blessing because she understands that, you know, the music is one side of it, but to give back to those who, you know, inspired her when she was maybe, you know, needed some inspiration, you know, and the fact that what she's doing is inspiring others is just, it just speaks to her character. Yes. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce to you all tonight, Miss Gloria Loring. Well, hello. 
Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hi out there. Hi, Brian. Hi, Gregory. Hi. It's nice Hello. to speak with you again. Welcome yeah. again to the Abundant Solutions Hour. You know we are all tickled pink that you're here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, Ms. Lauren, we, Brian and I used to coach peewee football, and we're finding out now that a lot of the kids, a lot of the youth, uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, and probably all around America, just all over the place. A lot of them uh, can't play because they have, you know, been diagnosed with this um, diabetes. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is this something, is this the norm? Is it something that we're doing wrong for the kids? You know, it just seems like so many kids now, or, you know, we're finding out that they have this. I mean, wh- wh- where, where is this coming from? Is this something? Well, that- first of all, I, I don't quite understand why they can't play. There's, in fact, exercise is very important for children with diabetes. Now, mm-hmm. they they have to be, you know, it's very important no matter what they're doing, whether they're playing or not playing, that they be on, you know, the proper medication, insulin. Mm-hmm. Their children, they're on insulin for the most part, unless they're, they're you know, uh, way overweight and they've had gotten type 2 diabetes, mm-hmm. in which case exercise is really important. Yeah. So whether whether they've got type 1 or type 2, exercise is really important. They just, they, but their coaches have to be um, uh, educated, you know, given the right information and tools to help them if they get a low blood sugar, that kind of thing. As far as the... The, more and more kids getting diabetes. Well, yeah, um, you know the the statistics are just it's it's a it's a nightmare. It's an absolute yeah. nightmare that yeah. there are kids getting type two diabetes because they're eighty pounds overweight at eleven or twelve years old, and that's you know the fast food and all the processed foods that the, the kids are eating and. It's just it's and the big gulp drinks and you know you know these huge huge forty ounce or whatever they are drinks, I mean my lord, it's it's just it's ridiculous the amount of calories we're pouring into children and and parents parents have to you know take a look at what they're allowing their children to do to themselves and and assisting them in enabling them to do and and make some changes and and there's there's more and more awareness sorry you're going to hear my doggies barking in the background as we talk but sometimes people walk by the house i live up in the mountains and and all the guys have to start barking we've got three doggies here right now but anyway so just please excuse the noise um and anyway, miss heidi stop um so yeah there's no reason they shouldn't be playing in fact there's every reason they should be playing um so i'm not i'm not sure i understand that but uh you know good health there's nothing more important than good health so that's that's up to the parents and the community um churches schools everybody's kind of getting on that or a, a lot of people are getting on that bandwagon now because you know when a child gets diabetes because they're obese at 10 mm-hmm. um that is just a, a a nightmare waiting to happen as they age Yes. They are going to have so many physical problems. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the, uh, you know, that, and that's one thing that we dealt with a lot. Um, we had probably five or six kids out of 20, 28, 29 that, that struggled weekly just to make the weight. So that's probably one of the reasons that a lot of the parents probably wouldn't let their kids play that had this, this type of uh, diabetes or whatever. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it, we, I mean. It well, was, and they should have been exercising, but if they're so 
overweight that they can't run and they you know then they need to start with something gentle and the parents need to get them on their bicycles for a walk after dinner um you know they need to get them in pe at school they need to biggest thing is drop the calories drop the processed food the fried foods yeah. the you know and of course you know, we have to remember we, we they're in, in the south especially i mean when i travel in the south i'm just i'm just horrified by what i see um, I would say 60, 70% of the people are obese, I see. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, and I'm horrified not because they're bad people, but because of what they're going to suffer because of that weight. That is not natural. It's, it impedes all of their, their uh, physical symptoms, their respiratory system, their blood supply, the, the, you know, I mean, just everything. Uh, their digestion, their pouring, foods into themselves that are depleting their energy at the same time that they're they're processing these enormous amounts of calories. So it's it's really, really hard and and people have to wake up and do that for themselves. Of course we can't do that for them. Right. Right, right. You know, I know in my experience with um kids that were overweight, you know, one of the things that we learned about them is a lot of that came from you know, most people say, well, his dad was big, he's big. But you're right, a lot of it came from how they were eating and how their parents were allowing them to eat. Oh, absolutely. It's a family dynamic. Mm-hmm. We know that, the, you know, the same thing happens with spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, if one of the spouses starts to gain weight, the other one does because they're bringing that food into the house. I mean, I have, listen, you know, it's real easy to eat a lot. <laughs> Because there's so much, we have an abundance of great tasting food, yeah. and and even not so good tasting, but filled with salt and sugar, which prompts appetite. Um, you know, you look at any of the the chips now, and and they, you think, okay, yeah, they're salty, but they also have sugar, mm-hmm. and they the combination of sugar and salt is an appetite increaser, mm-hmm. and so it becomes like an addiction, and it's just the same thing as the the you know the too much caffeine or or nicotine in the cigarettes it's it's the it's the um the companies that are doing this to us yeah they're giving us stuff that so called tastes great but we're we're um what would i say corrupting our taste buds right um i remember when my kids were little i did not buy canned baby food because i was very like super health conscious <laughs> and there was sugar and salt in baby food well there was no reason for there to be sugar and salt Mm-hmm. Babies don't need sugar and salt in their food. Nope. And what it does is it predisposes them to think that that's the way all food should taste. taste. Yeah. And so I made all their baby food from scratch. I had a little tiny baby food grinder, and I'd cook everything fresh and grind it up, and they'd get the fresh food. And then along the way, people started to be more conscious, and fortunately some of the good nutrition gurus spoke up and said babies don't need salt. If, if you know, if they'll, there's naturally occurring salt in these foods that's enough for them, mm-hmm. and gradually the companies took the salt, you know, no added salt and sugar, as if this was a big thing. There's enough salt in sweet potatoes and pears and apples mm-hmm. and all of that, you know. But it's 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 a it's a huge problem in this country and other countries that are adopting our menus and our ways of eating are seeing a jump in obesity. And it's just, it's a nightmare waiting to happen as far as people's 
health issues uh, and what's going to happen down the road. Ms. Long, let me ask this question. Do you think it's a socioeconomic issue? Because what, what what I've seen is that I can go to purchase something in the store, and it could say something like, you know, no added fats or sugars or low in sugar, low sodium, and it could be the same thing, but the low sodium um, product, same product, low sodium, costs more. I know. Isn't that amazing? You'd think, wait a minute, there's less salt and they're charging more. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so bottom line, it's best to make things from scratch. Mm-hmm. Instead of buying canned beans, get the little little bag of beans, take them home, put them in some water and cook them. You know, instead of buying canned sweet potatoes, get fresh sweet potatoes in can, or canned green beans with salt. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, put some beans in and either saute them with a little little bit of olive oil and some fresh herbs or or boil them in some water, maybe with a little bit of salt. But, you know, I, I made recently, I had some leftover um, ground turkey. And I was looking through one of my cookbooks, eh, what do I do with turkey, turkey, turkey? And they said, you know, homemade turkey sausage, turkey mm-hmm. patties. And they were delicious. And they had a quarter of the salt and sugar of the mm-hmm. stuff you buy at the market and probably cost me half as much. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are lots of ways to save money on foods, and but but there is a problem now. You know, in Los Angeles, in some of the big cities, um, and and they're trying to change that. And there's a whole uh, uh, crusade campaign going on out here in California, where they're asking people in communities and neighborhoods to speak up and say, "We want access to fresh fruits and vegetables in our, at our neighborhood stores." Because they'll go and there's almost nothing fresh. Everything's canned and frozen. And so they can't feed their children the way they'd like to. They don't even, it's not even there for them to make a choice. Right. So there is a campaign now for, and they're saying, people in your communities, go to your stores and say, we want more fresh produce. Because especially in some of the areas where, you know, money is a big issue. And certainly right now more and more people are hurting. Um and, and, you know, the, the, sometimes the grocery stores are too far away and there isn't enough money for both people to have cars. So one, the one person goes to work in the car and the other person's at home and has to walk to the store. And if all they've got is a 7-Eleven and they don't carry anything fresh, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So it's, it's a big, big problem. Yeah. Okay. And you were talking about um, your children, and I think, um, I think one of the reasons you got – Involved is because one of your children was diagnosed with this. Yes, Brennan was diagnosed with diabetes at four. He was diagnosed with type one diabetes, which is the severest form of the disease. Ten percent of people get that, and it means that he is he has to take insulin for the rest of his life. It was caused. Type one is associated with a genetic uh, hereditary factor. Although some people have that factor and some people get the disease and some people don't, and they're not sure why. They're trying to figure that out. But, um, yeah, so my interest started when he was four, and he's now 34. So it, it's a long time. This the end of this July. He will have had it 30 years. Wow. And he's he's still doing okay. You know, we're we're grateful for that. and. He has a little son now, a little Tyler, who just turned one year old, oh. and it's it's very very sweet. And 
he's a good daddy, and we just hope he he takes his keeps taking his diabetes seriously, and maybe even gets even better at it, so that mm-hmm. he's around for another thirty years. That would be nice. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, and I think you you said something that's so important: the fact that um, so many people don't take it seriously. You know, they hear it and they say, oh, I'm not worried about it because they don't feel bad or they don't feel sick or whatever. And then they wait until something, you know, serious happens and then they try to, you know, play catch up with the disease. You know, in your experience, and, you know, I know that you're a spokesperson for the National Juvenile Diabetes Foundation. In your experience with talking with people who have lived with this or are living with it, you know, what is the best way to manage the disease? Well, the best way to manage the disease is, number one, be educated about it. Um, get some books. Get, you know, uh, the, the diabetes education courses now, um, the insurance companies are not covering them as much. People are not, a lot of people, especially with type 2, are not getting adequate education, which is the reason I wrote the book um with Dr. Tim Gray uh, living with type 2 diabetes because I would go places and, you know, do diabetes conventions and be there and people would come up and say, well, I have type 2, so I'm fine. And I said, I'd say, oh, yeah? So no, what's your A1C, hemoglobin A1C? And they'd say, what's that? And I said, that's a test you're supposed to have every three months to find out how your control is. Oh, well, I don't know. My doctor does some, some things and he says I'm okay. I said, well, but if your doctor has if you're if you get the complications, your doctor's not going to suffer. You need if you don't know what, what your A1C is, and it should be below seven at the very least, below seven. That's it's a it's a judgment of um, of your long term control over 90 days, and it's the long term control that makes a difference in getting the complications, which which are really nasty. I mean, blindness, kidney failure, loss of limbs, gangrene, loss of feet and legs. Mm-hmm. Heart attack, stroke. Um, I mean, they're they're really, really awful. Um, so, yeah, the the most important thing you can do is find out how to take care of yourself, and then get support for taking care of yourself. Hopefully, your family will support you. Though, but that's tough too. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the the whole family needs to make a little bit of change in in the food because especially if there's a child there, because you can't feed the other kids in the family and the rest of the family one diet and and then have your kid with diabetes sitting there and has a pork chop with the plain green beans and the and the boiled sweet potato and, and everybody else is having mashed potatoes with gravy and, and pecan pie for dessert. And I mean, you can't. You just, I mean, you can't. Because what you're going to do is that kid is going to feel like he's not connected and not part of the family, and it's it's that's that's terrible, you know. And most people do do those things. People make adjustments, and but you know, get support, get educated, whatever it takes. If you go to a support group, if you have a mentor, all of those kinds of things are very very helpful. Yeah. Now, Miss Loring, I have um, actually my mother's parents both had type one. Uh-huh. And my sister actually developed uh, gestational diabetes, and it beca- it turned into, I believe, it was type two. Yes, that can happen. Yeah. 
The stress and, of, of childbirth and all, yes, that can happen. You know, and so I've seen on the one hand where my, my grandparents have to both take um, insulin shots daily. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, it was diet and exercise and, you know, just making sure that they're eating the right foods and not eating too much and not eating at certain times of the day, stuff like that. Well, certain times that, like, my sister has adopted this thing. I don't know how well she's keeping up with it, but if you're listening, I'm I'm giving you some props because you're actually trying to do it, <laughs> um, where she won't eat after a certain time at night, you know. Well, and and that that can be helpful because, you know, the the when we go to bed, the stomach should have finished the majority of its digestion and mm-hmm. and you know of course if if she has a low blood sugar then she's got to treat that with something some juice or whatever right so it just depends on you know you have to be flexible with diabetes um but but if she's under good control and she's testing her blood sugar she is type 2 right yes yeah and she tests her blood sugar every day um i don't know i have to ask her that Okay. See, because people here here's the problem with the type two. A lot of people think, well, I, you know, I sort of have diabetes. You know, I have no type two. I just take my pills and I'm fine. And yeah, I don't eat as many sweets as I used to eat. But that's not, unfortunately, type two causes the same complications as type one: blindness, impotence, loss of limbs, gangrene, kidney failure, all the same stuff. And type people with type two think they don't need to pay as much attention because it's not really serious, but it is serious, and it can get serious, especially if you're not paying attention. Yeah. So, one of the recommendations in our book that Dr. Tim Gray and I make is that people with type two should be testing their blood sugar, if at all possible. And for some people, it's a it's a financial issue, um, mm-hmm. but at least at least once a day, like say when they get up in the morning, um, test the blood sugar, see how your overnight is doing. And, of course, they should know what their A1C is, and that's the test you get done every 90 days. And you want it to be below 7. It was shown in what was going to be a 10-year study, and they stopped the study because the, the results were so definitive that they said there's no doubt now that the better care you take of your blood sugar, the less likely you will be to have complications. And the sort of the dividing line was a 7.2. Like we know our, our blood pressure should be 120 or uh, optimally 120 or below, 120 over 80 or below, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the dividing line for complications was 7.2 for the A1C, the special blood test for diabetics, mm-hmm. and people above the 7.2 got anywhere from 60 to 80% more complications. Wow. People below got 60 to 80% less, something like that. You know, I mean, it was huge. And they were going to do it for 10 years, and after seven and seven and some years, seven and a half or something, they said, there's no reason to go on with this study. Yeah. It is absolutely as clear because there were a lot of people said you know diabetes just causes damage. There's nothing you can do, just sort of take care of yourself. No, no, no. This was called the DCCT Diabetes uh, Control and Complication Trial, mm-hmm. and it was absolutely it's 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 accepted now right. that you got to keep your blood sugars 
below below this seven, and even now they're saying really below six point five, and that's not easy to do. You can't you can't just kind of sort of take your medication and sort of maybe watch your diet and get below six point five if you've got diabetes. You got to be more on it than that. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Lauren, I am getting slammed. To <laughs> I am getting slammed with emails and messages from Facebook and MySpace. Everybody's asking me about your son, Robin. Oh, yes. <laughs> My darling Robin, yes. They want to hear about Robin. And one of, them, one of the questions is, what was it like for Miss Lauren to sing with Robin? And I, and I want to ask them, but well, we might need to ask Robin, what is it like to sing with Miss Lauren? <laughs> with Mama, um, it was very sweet. The the we did the duet, the prayer that's on the new CD, the the a playlist, and um, yeah, I mean Robin's a, a, a remarkable talent. I mean he was talented from the time he was a young boy, and on top of that talent, he worked really hard. He's worked for over fifteen years to attain the success that he has now. I mean, he wrote his first, the first song that got recorded of his, he wrote when he was 15, and it was recorded by Brandy. Um, I don't know, maybe a year or a year and a half later or something. But, you know, he's worked very, very hard. He worked all during his senior year in high school. He went on home study. Um, You know, when other people were out partying and going to Europe after graduating from high school. He was in the studio writing songs and working and learning his craft. And so he he deserves where he is. And uh, he has been very smart about it. He set goals for himself. He wanted to have his own recording stu- uh, studio by the time he was 21, and uh, he did. He had it within one year of that. Um, he's... He's an amazing, amazingly focused and hardworking person, along with being exceptionally talented, and that's a great combination. You know what? I, I, I'm so glad that you're saying that because so many young people are listening tonight, and so many of those young people, they really don't understand how much hard work is involved. And when they see a Robin Thicke or they see a Gloria Loring, they think that this thing happened overnight, and, they, and, and a lot of them don't really understand how much uh, sacrifice is involved in reaching your dreams and your goals. Well, yeah, you have to figure, the, the let's see, what a year and a half ago was the big hit Lost Without You, mm-hmm. which was his big breakthrough, you know, and he was at the top of the R&B charts for longer than Beyonce and Mary Blige and all those people that year. He just set records all over the place. But that was 15 years after he started writing and singing and producing records. He produced records for other people all along the way and wrote songs for other people, Christina Aguilar and 98 Degrees and Mark Anthony and, oh gosh, I don't know, just a whole slew of people. Um, and uh, not Puff Daddy, who is, who's the other one? Usher. You know, he has a Grammy for the work he did on Usher's album. And, you know, so he was working real hard on behalf of others with, you know, creating music for them and then finally decided that it was time for him to have his own music out there and to, to do what he really wanted to do, to take the risk and come out from behind the console, you know. <laughs> and uh, But that's 15 years of hard work. 
mm-hmm. to get there. So, uh, and you know, some people start out and, and they, they start it right away. But, see, Robin had a very smart plan because as he, he first, you know, he just was going to be a singer and he was going to record his CD and all of that. And he looked around and he saw that there were a lot of singers that came out and had a short, big fuss over them that was short-lived, and then they were gone. And he realized that in order to have longevity, the people who had the longevity were the songwriter record producers. And so that's where he started. He said, I want to be in this business forever. And he started writing and producing. And so he built up all of that repertoire skill set that now he uses for himself. He wrote hits for other people. Now he's writing them for himself. And how much, how how important was it for him to see his mother in the in the business, very very successful, and you know the ins and outs of, of of a lot of the things that he of the pitfalls that a lot of people fall in, and you know I, how important is that for him to see you doing it? You, you understand what it, I'm saying? It's interesting. Um, until recently, he had really expounded on that. But I was over at his house a few weeks ago, and he was in town for just one night, and I happened to be in, in Los Angeles, so I went by, and we were hanging out and having dinner and watching some TV, and and he just started to talk about it. He said, you know, Mom, he said, it was because I saw you on stage, with the, and I saw the power of it and the command and the joy that you gave people, and I, I thought to myself, that's what I want. I want to be like that. So I I do think, you know, and it it could have been, it didn't have to be his mother. It could have been someone else that he saw. You know, we we get inspired in lots of different places. But but he did have someone who was right there in his own home (laughs) Mm -hmm. who was doing it. And, of course, his dad was a a writer and actor and, and producer and television producer. And so he had lots of encouragement to to follow your star and to create what you want to create and... Um, be the person that you want to be and do the work you love. Awesome. Powerful. Now, as well as being um, a spokesperson for the juvenile diabetes and being a singer, you also have been an actress, and you just recently did an event. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, are you talking about TV Tunes tonight? Yeah. Yeah, now that wasn't an acting, well, there is acting involved, but no, I created um, a performance, a theatrical piece. Um, We were getting Google, my manager and I, Sherry, were getting Google alerts about my facts of life, because I sang that and Mm -hmm. co-wrote it, and also Friends and Lovers that I sang, um, that there were YouTube this and you know, uh, Google that, and and so we started looking. Sherry started looking at them. She said, "Do you realize you are all over? Your songs are all over the place." And we started to look, and then she looked further, and she she got into these these um, chat rooms where people just talk about television theme songs. And she had this great idea, and she said, "You know what? You're probably the only person who's ever had a number one hit out of daytime television, and also." written and sung one of the most popular ever television nighttime theme songs, and that's Facts of Life, that's still on the air after 30 years. She said, you, we need to put together a show for you that celebrates television theme music. 
And so we took six months, and um, uh, I wrote it, and we we chose the songs. And she's a is a choreographer director, and so she we, we put dance stuff. And I had a special guest star. And we called it TV Tunes Tonight, and we just wanted to get up on get it up on its feet for one night and film it. And we did that at the end of March, and it has just caused so much excitement. So we're looking for exactly the right place to to take it now and so that we can be in one place. It might be a Vegas, something like that, mm. where we can sit down with the show and just, you know, there, there's nothing in the world like doing a show night after night after night. You just get better and better, and it gets in your bones, and it becomes so easy that you just are completely free to, to explore and have as much fun as you want every single night. So so we're looking for the right opportunity now with the right circumstances and have uh, some great people very excited about it and we're talking about possibly having some kind of a television vehicle that would would uh be the television version of that so uh yeah it's all it's all very good and it was it was a great night now people can go onto youtube actually and if they type in gloria loring uh it will take them to a number of my video pieces that are up there and if they look for tv tunes sizzle reel we put together a little five-minute version of TV Tunes tonight, uh, just giving some of the highlights. So people can go to YouTube and put Gloria Loring, and it's called TV Tunes, T-U-N-E-Z, TV Tunes Sizzle Reel, and there's a little five-minute version there. Awesome. Yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh, we had so much fun with that show. <laughs> You had a blast. I wish you could have been there to see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we wish we would have, too. Uh, Ms. Lynn, we have a caller on the line. Brian, let's bring that caller in. Okay. All right, let's see where the caller is. Stand by. All righty. All right, I'm looking for my caller screen here. Greg, do you have it up? Yes, I do. Do you see it? Okay, I'll bring them in. Caller from the 908 area code. You're live on the Abundant Solutions Hour. Hello. Hello. Hi. How you doing, Greg? Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Akira Casado. I'm from the Plainfield, New Jersey area. And I just wanted to ask um, Robin's mom. Sorry to call you Robin's mom. That's okay. <laughs> Robin calls me mom, so if that makes you feel happy, that's fine with me. <laughs> I want to first off by saying that me and uh, my friends enjoy your son's music and just wanted to ask you, you know, coming up, you sound like you're a very successful businesswoman, um, and I know for myself I'm just getting into really starting my own business and my own company um, and going through a lot of obstacles. Did you, like, run into those same things Um um, you know, especially with having your son there with you, because I have two sons as well. Um, and it, you, you did say that you you believe that you that your success was responsible or additive to him seeing that he can do what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what made you like just keep going? Was it just Robin, or did you not come across obstacles, or you know what well, I mean? Well, sure, we all have obstacles, absolutely. Uh, what made me keep going is because I, I love what I do. Um, I, but but I, I was also fairly fortunate. Uh, when I was 18, I started working on the road as a singer in small clubs. And by the time I was 21, I did my first television show as a singer. 
and uh, then went on to do 400 more television shows over the next several years. Um, then, well, I guess about 10 years later, I joined the cast of Days of Our Lives, and I was on a daytime soap opera for seven years. So, you know, you keep going because stuff presents itself. Um, you know, being in straight business is much more difficult, but I think it helps to have a vision, um, a, 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 a picture. And, you know, that's the, the whole the secret thing is that you've got to know, you've got to have a sense of a goal. And your goal may change. Um, I think it was Ayanla Van Zandt I, I was reading about. You know, she, she w- wanted to get her law degree, and she went and got her law degree, and then she started doing that, and she she hated it, and she just quit. <laughs> I thought I wanted this, and now I don't want it. And at one point, she was actually evicted from her home because she wanted to be an inspirational speaker. And and But she had a vision, and she just said, I know this is going to work out. And I guess she wound up living with friends or something, and, and she had children at the time. Um, but she had a vision for herself of what she wanted to do and what she wanted to be. And and I I think you know that's that's a key, um, and and maybe it's just that we want to have a successful business and serve people and and provide a good service or a good product to them and and so that we can take good care of our children and show them how to conduct themselves in the world, you know, because everything we do is a teaching. Um, everything if you have sons. You know, everything you say, everything you do is a teaching. Um, and they're watching. They're picking it all up. And, oh, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, none of us is perfect. And I have lots of regrets. But I guess I, I did enough that was good. Both my boys tell, tell me I was a good mom. And so I'm like, oh. But, of course, all, as moms, all we do is say, oh, but remember the time I lost my temper and I threw this something and, and I whatever. And I forgot to pick them up at school. And I did this and I didn't do that. And, <laughs> We're so hard on ourselves, but the obstacles are just part of, you know, part of the deal. It's nothing's meant to be perfectly easy because if it is, you don't learn anything. Um, and some of the obstacles we create for ourselves because of our belief system. Uh, some of our obstacles were created by others from uh, our childhood, things that we absorbed that are not necessarily true or beneficial. And some of them just happen. You know, stuff happens in life. Um, but if, I do think that if you have a, a vision of who you want to be, a big vision, though, and I don't mean, you know, a, a $5 million vision. I mean a big vision for the kind of person you want to be. I want to be an ethical person who's responsible and who's, who's patient and understanding with myself as well as with others. And, you know, have a big, big overarching vision of yourself no matter what you're doing, whether I'm in this business or another business or whether I'm a stay-at-home mom, you know, what, how do I want to get through each day? And, and that's a really great vision to have. Wow. Wow, thank you so much. All right, and, and all the best to you. All right. Great information, great advice. I'm sitting here writing. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with you here. <laughs> well, vision is really important. See, Robin, from a very early age, created a vision for himself. As I said, when he was 15, he decided, I'm going to have my own recording studio by the time I'm 21, and he did. Mm. You know, and 
I, when I was a very young girl, I said, I remember thinking, or it was very clear to me, I was either going to be a singer or a teacher, just as long as I got to stand up at the front of the room. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted people to listen to me. (laughs) But I had a vision. And and I loved singing, and I just did it and did it and did it and did it and did it. And, you know, it got to be more and more successful, and it worked. So there it is. Yeah, yeah. That's, awesome. that's, that's, so, that's so true. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you talked about the vision. So many people, you know, they may see something that they want to do or they may want to become this or that, but they just don't know how to start. And I, and I heard you say that you just sang, you went into clubs, and you did, you pretty much did what you had to do to make your vision a reality. Is it is that something that you would probably pass on to others that are following behind you? Not yeah, I have. Yeah. I have a little um, a, a little uh, tool that that might be helpful to people. But um, I've got to get back to writing my book. But it's I call them the four eyes, and uh, it's it's how things come to be in the world, how things manifest. And the first thing is an impulse. You have an impulse. I want to open. I want to open my own florist shop. I love flowers. I want to create beautiful flower arrangements and and help people celebrate Mother's Day and weddings and anniversaries. And you know, I want to add more beauty to the world. And you get this vision for yourself, this impulse. You really, really want that. And then you sit down and you you make a list. You you write down an inventory, and you write down all the. Do I know anybody who has a florist shop? Can uh, do I know anybody who knows how to set, write a business plan? Do I, uh, who do I know who will support me in this vision? Um, who can I call? Who could put me in touch? You know, there you go. You just make this whole long list. Who, who's everybody I know? And you start talking to everybody you know about your vision for yourself. And somebody's going to say, Yeah, I remember my uncle so and so. You know, he he once invested in a whatever, and he had a then. And before you know it, you've got four or five people who are going to help you with with the nitty-gritty of how to get this accomplished. So you've got impulse and you've got um, uh, inventory, and then you've got investment. You've, you've got to start, you start acting as if. You start investing. No, wait, there's one more in there. I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm missing one. But you do, you start investing your time and energy going forward. In other words, even if you were in a job that you don't like, you start spending an hour every night, you know, looking at flower arrangements. You stop by on the weekends and you go by florists and you, you take a look at the, you learn the names of the flowers. You, what does it take? You, you interview some people who have, you know, you start investing your time and energy to make it happen. And uh, there's one more and I can't remember what the last one is. But even those three, impulse, inventory, and, and it, uh, investment, those three will will set you on the road toward making it a reality. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, you've said, um, you talked about, and I want to get back to um, the things you do um, as a speaker as well. You know, you talked about when you go around the country and uh, you talk to different people and the things that you've seen, um, you talked about how you've seen a lot of people who suffer from obesity and stuff like that. Um, my question is, what's it like to be able to go, you know, around and see people 
that are affected by the same thing that you had to grow up and, you know, with as respect to your children, you know, you had to grow up with your son suffering from uh, this disease, and you go around the country and you see other people like that. How does that feel? What is that? What kind of feeling did you get when you go out and you educate well, someone I, else about it? I feel grateful that I can listen to them with a deep understanding of what they're going through, well, especially, of course, if they're a parent with a child. Um, I, I really understand what they're going through and what they're feeling, whatever stage they're in, especially if it's a newly diagnosed child. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that memory is very current and... And and I also have an enormous commitment to good nutrition and good health, and so I can. And yet I understand how easy it is to overdo. You know, I have my my days when I overdo, and then I have to pull back and, you know, get on the treadmill and whatever, whatever. And 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 I also understand childhood wounds. I grew up in a, a family with alcoholism, and um, I was a victim of sexual abuse as a young girl. Um, you know, so I know that these wounds can can make us unconscious to our own um, our own worth, our own value, and sometimes lead us into addictions uh, with food or sex or shopping or alcohol or drugs or whatever that are not beneficial. So I, I'm very grateful in a way that I had all those experiences because I can empathize with people i can have some sympathy and um i think my feeling is one of of uh, respect when people ask me you know how can i do better i have a great deal of respect for that Mm -hmm. because they're they're at least turning outward and saying i i I know i need some help i'm not sure how to start Mm -hmm. yeah Wow. wow Thank you so much for being transparent because we have so many people that needed to hear that. Yes. Well, you know, there's 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 been and continues to be um, a lot of uh, a lot of love being given to children, but a lot of harm being done to children, and sometimes unconsciously because the parents were harmed, and and they don't know how to do better yet, and sometimes. They do better later on, but the children still bear some of those wounds and scars. Um, but there's more consciousness now, at least. Yeah. Um, there was a time when nobody talk, talked about child abuse or sexual abuse, and, and it was kind of swept under the rug. And But, but we know now that it's wrong, and, and as, as flawed as social services can sometimes be, they, they're trying to get it right. Um, they're trying to protect children out there, and they're overworked and underpaid and, and stressed out. And, I mean, some of the things – I have a dear friend who was with social services for years, and a little boy was lost under her care um, because she couldn't get them to realize this child was in danger at the upper levels, and the child was returned uh, to his home, and he was dead. And to this day, that is still a wound in her heart that is so powerful. Uh, so ha- knowing her, I have a great deal of empathy for all sides of the picture. Um, I mean, I was one of those children, um, and it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I started to heal that. Um, and now it is healed, and that's wonderful. And And then the wonderful thing is that I can... 
I could be empathetic to other people who've gone through this and let them know that even though it seems so scary to face it or to to try to heal something from so long ago, it can be done, and that the effort is worth the freedom. I mean, I, I think, you know, that some, some of the shows like The Biggest Loser and um, Intervention and, you know, some of these incredible shows that are on the air and, of course, as actors, many of us complain about all the reality TV because we're not being hired as actors. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, these shows can, you know, the best of them show that the effort is worth the end result. Um, when I think about how difficult it was to to clear up the old understandings in my body and my psyche and my emotions, etc., um, left over from childhood, um, it, it doesn't compare. It's like, you know, uh, well, 1% compared to the freedom and joy and peace I now have. At the time, it seemed like an almost insurmountable challenge, just like losing 100 pounds could seem like an insurmountable challenge. And we watched this on The Biggest Loser. We watched people who lost 140 pounds in 11, 12 weeks. And they look back and they say, I will never go back. As hard as this was, it was worth every minute of it. And, and you know, the, the young woman who just called us and said obstacles. I mean, obstacles can be fabulous because obstacles can teach us how much we actually have within us. I mean, my sister is an extraordinary example of this. My beautiful, talented, incredible, good mom, good wife, you know, beacon in the in business community and 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 she was diagnosed with a, a very 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 rare form of cancer last August, and um, she just as of that day. And it's interesting because five years before, she remembers there was something like five years before. She remembers thinking to herself, "If I keep going, the, so this thought came up. If I keep going the way I'm going, I'm going to wind up with cancer." Because she was trying to be all things to all people. She was doing too much. She wasn't getting enough sleep. She was racing everywhere. And now she gets cancer last August. And as of that day, she said she had been trying for five years to stop working full time. But every time she did, she felt bad because she and her husband have a business together. But she was trying to be a full time mom. The president of the company, you know, a, a great friend, a great this, a great that. I mean, she was being pulled in every direction, like a lot of women nowadays. And uh, I've been maybe too, but women especially because of the mom housekeeper thing and businesswoman. And um, as of that day, the day she was diagnosed, she said, that's it, I quit. I'm out of the business. I, I've needed an excuse, and I just gave myself one, you know. Um, she took it on as a challenge. She has completely transformed her life. She, uh, at the same time, using some Western medicine, a special experimental drug, because the form of cancer she has is so rare. Um, she has used alternative medicine incredibly successfully. She has taken up spiritual practice, um, actively works uh, with The Course in Miracles every single day. Um, recently, some challenges came up, and she faced them with such clarity and such lack of fear, and this is not the sister that I knew from years before who was, you know, trying so hard to please everyone. 
and be all things to all people. And I just yesterday I said to her, Peggy, do you see who you've become? And do you see how how clear you are about what you will and will not allow in your life? And she said, listen, once I faced the fear of death and said, I'm not afraid to die, I just want to be happy with the life I have left. She said, "Every all other bets are off. Wow. I'm not going to take anything anywhere that disturbs my peace. Mm. And she, so this challenge, in a way, this challenge of this very rare cancer, which can be lived with for a number of years, but can also, you know, is eventually terminal. Um, her tumors have now stopped growing. Um, she has taken on the attitude um, that this cancer is cured. At some moment in time, her cancer is cured, finished, over with. Her body may not be that in that moment yet, but it is accomplished and it is done. And that's where she's living from. And she said, I spend no time talking about my cancer. I spend no time talking about disease. I spend my time in life-affirming, um, laughter-producing, sweet relationships. I turn away from anything that disturbs my peace. I turn the television off. Uh, you know, she's just so clear about what she will and will not allow in her life. And this enormous obstacle of cancer has completely, completely transformed her life in the last, what, 10 months. Wow. It's just, I mean, she's just, I, I, I stand in awe of her. But I do know that I would do the same thing. I would, I, I, I mean, I just would. And um, I, I think we kind of got some of that from our dad. I mean, he dealt with Parkinson's for 25 years and just was a champion right up to the end. Um, but we have another sibling who's, who, who isn't in that place and is struggling terribly with something and, and, but, but hasn't found, um, hasn't found her the steps that would bring her to the kind of transformational elements that, that she would need to come out of that state of, of, of illness, dis-ease, imbalance, uh, victimhood, etc. Um, you know, we all, have a, we all have a chance to be a hero. Every one of us. We've all got stuff that, you know, we make a heroic move here and there. And it's it's just, it's wonderful to see people step up like that. Wow. You know, it, it's, ooh. I didn't realize our show was going to go this way. You, you just put a whole <laughs> lot of stuff on me here. Yes, you did. Wow. Well, you know, there. I bet you there are people out there who know somebody like my sister Peggy, who have done it themselves. I have a friend years ago who got cancer, and she wrote an article for some magazine somewhere, so how, how cancer saved my life. Because she just, you know, she said, once you face death, so what if somebody's mad at me? Big deal. She said, I used to cower if somebody was mad at me. I was so afraid of displeasing people. She said, once I thought, well, I may die. Well, the heck with them. The heck with what they want. What do I want? I may not have much time left here, you know. <laughs> I mean, God bless them, you know. Anyway, it's um, listen. I I think there are so many extraordinary people in this world, and and uh, every one of us who raises ourselves up in, in, into a um, a more expansive way of thinking and feeling, and 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 uh, more compassion and and more understanding 
helps everybody else. Then, and we're being a teacher of that. Um, and I remember somebody years ago saying, you know, we're all teachers. We just have to become aware. What are we teaching? Mm-hmm. When we lose our, our patience because our plane is late and we're in line, what are we teaching everybody around us? That, you know, excuse me, it's the weather. Why are you screaming at this poor clerk behind the desk? You know, <laughs> my husband just called today and some guy was going off on the, the uh, you know, the airline attendant person uh, behind the, the the clerk behind the desk. And, and, you know, it's like, hey, it's the weather. You know, come on. <laughs> they didn't do this just to ruin your day, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're all teaching. We're always all teaching. What are we teaching? And as we become more conscious of it, we can gradually shift. And, you know, sometimes I, I get impatient and I get cranky and I get this and I get that. And But I try to catch myself as quickly as possible and, and, and shift it and, and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, oh, you know, I'm just a little edgy today. Okay, can I start again? <laughs> you know, and people really, people really will put up with a lot from me if you say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I know I interrupted you again. Or, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I was so cranky about that. I'm just... I don't know what's going on with you know you just you just fess up, <laughs> take responsibility, and, uh, and but we are we're teaching and what are we teaching? So I think that's a that's a and we're hopefully we're teaching abundant solutions. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we'll bring it around full circle from where we started. Okay, well you know I want to uh, we got about three minutes left before the show ends. I want to just say that. You know, tonight's show has just been absolutely just phenomenal. You know, I I I didn't expect it to, you know, and I said this, but I didn't expect it to go in the direction it went. But there's a reason why, you know, you were so open and transparent and honest because people have to understand that, you know, even superstars and megastars like yourself. <laughs> still have real human, regular, normal issues that they deal with on a regular basis. Well, of course we do, for heaven's sakes. And, you know, it's uh, uh, it's that thing of, of, I guess, people feel that if we attained this, we've got something that they don't. No, we don't. We've all got the same stuff. Uh, you know, some of us have a special talent here or a special talent there, but we've all got access to the same kind of levels of courage and fortitude and perseverance and it's just are we using it or not that's all right right and and some of the people are are really um visible as far as doing something that looks terrific uh like being on television or being a singer on a stage or whatever and then there are people who are very quietly in their homes Mm -hmm. you know being a stay-at-home mom with three or four kids on uh on poverty wages and somehow making ends meet and, and and being patient every day and being loving and raising their children with some guidance. And, you know, I mean, these are heroes, too. And just because oh, they're yeah. not on a television somewhere doesn't mean we shouldn't, you know, respect them. We're we're surrounded by extraordinary people every single day. Yes, yes, yes we are. And you are definitely one of them. Um, with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions. Miss Lauren, we thank you so so much for joining us tonight. Yes, we do. And I want to close out by saying that look at what you can do with your time. 
most people think that they don't have time to do things. They don't have time. Greg and I even spend our time, you know, twice a week giving you great information with great guests um, and trying to put on great shows. And it's because, not because we're trying to make any money out of the deal or we don't get any real satisfaction other than that we help people and we help others to be more, to do more, and to have more. And we want to tell you all out there that you have that same gift, that same power, that same desire, that and I mean that same ability. And you need to start working it. You know, it may take you 15 years like Robin Thicke to get to where you want to be. But won't you be glad when you get there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want to say to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us tonight. Please join us again on Monday as we'll have another great and exciting show. With that being said, good evening, God bless you, and we love you, and join us again soon. Uh, Are you there, or are we disconnected?